The Rick Jensen Show on AM 1150 and 101.7 FM WDEL. The vaccine has arrived, especially for frontline workers, folks in nursing homes, assisted living. Here in the state of Delaware, we actually have an organization that was led by our, or that is led by our lieutenant governor, as well as medical professionals, to get the vaccine out to folks. And what I think is good news is that uh, I, I saw a poll a couple of weeks ago, 50% of people said, I don't want to take it. Now there's a poll out, 70% of people say, you know what, I'm ready, I'm in, I'm going to take the vaccine. And I'm one of those. On the phone is Dr. Sandra Gibney, and uh, doctor, you're also on the Lieutenant Governor's COVID team, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind people that throughout the pandemic this year, Dr. Gibney, as well as Lieutenant Governor Bethany Hall Long, have put on the spacesuits, as we say, have a team of about anywhere from five to ten people, and they've been testing people in the most at-risk communities, folks who are homeless, folks who are camped out, people who are living in motels, uh, folks uh, in the Sunday Breakfast Mission, and other communities as well. And as I understand, you're going to accept the uh, the job of administering the uh, the vaccine to folks in these neighborhoods when it's their turn. Is that right? That's right. That's right, Rick. So um, since I've had pretty much a relationship with a a group of folks and are comfortable um, in those environments and where I'm going to know people. And um, so it's kind of a natural fit for me to go back and for those that qualify to, um, to vaccinate them. And those will be people that have comorbidities or at high risk if they get sick and those that are the most vulnerable to be sick. So um, because they don't have a car, or they probably don't have transportation. They're not going to be able to get to some of these sites um, that will eventually be available, such as hospitals and clinics and, and other places, even at Newark, uh, perhaps. Um, we'll, um, we're going to go to them and provide them with the vaccine. Um, so that's an opportunity for me um, to be able to. Well, let, let me ask you another question. So what is, what is the order? Uh, the sequence of events of people uh, who are in line for the vaccine, obviously, uh, the first person uh, was with, I think, what, Bay Health down the, in uh, southern Delaware and then uh, BB as well. So we have people working in the hospitals, and that's the way it should be. What, what is the sequence of events? How, how, how do we designate uh, or how are you designating uh, in the state of Delaware who gets the vaccines and at what point? Yeah, so there, there is a playbook that uh, the public health is using to determine um, how they're going to do this, how they're going to distribute. And it's based upon who's going to take care of sick people and who's would be the most at risk if they got sick and who would be the most at risk to spread it. Um, And so there's different tools to first, they start in the hospital systems and getting to them and getting them all their workers and then working through the hospital systems at first to get frontline people such as ambulance, fire and police, and then also uh, reaching out to, to places like where I am now, Newark Urgent Care, and creating satellites where people can go uh, and get vaccinated. And so, well, that all is going to kind of happen concomitantly um, so that although we may not get all the hospital-level folks vaccinated before we start Tier 2, well, actually it's 1B and C, and, and reach out to them. So I'm in the process now of working through to start in the shelters, um, and that's not going to happen well before every single person in the hospital system gets gets vaccinated. And then 
for the nursing homes, um, that's my dog in the background. Um, for that's the, fine, the nursing, yeah. <laughs> she's a little upset that I'm not speaking to her. Um, and then for the nursing homes, where the, you know, the state is using um, Walgreens um, and CVS to actually um, individuals to go into the nursing homes and provide those vaccines for those folks in the nursing home. Um, so what I think you're going to envision is there's going to be just like the COVID sites, there's going to be COVID vaccine sites throughout the state that people will be informed um, once we get to the point where we've gotten, uh, you know, down to tier 1B, 1C, which is, you know, folks over 65, folks that have comorbidities, there'll be a widespread amount of information. You're not going to have to, you know, get a cracker jack box and look for the surprise to figure out where you're going to be able to get a vaccine. Um, People will know. Um, But at this point, you know, this week, it's not yet ready for the common man, but it will soon be that. And as we know, Moderna is coming through. Um, and um, that vaccine then will add to the aliquot of vaccines that we have to offer folks. And we're really excited about the Moderna vaccine. I don't know if you want to pop yeah, in Yeah, I do in just a right second. In, in just a second, I really do, uh, because there are some uh, slight differences but between the two. Uh, but one of the differences I know is very, very meaningful, especially to you who are out there vaccinating people. But I want to get uh, a little more clarity on the tier 1A, B, and C and, and who is in each of these tiers so that listeners have an understanding uh, of who is in these tiers. So the first tier would be what? So the first tier would be healthcare workers and what they describe as frontline workers. These are the people that work in the hospital and have direct contact with sick people. Okay. And then uh, mm-hmm. the next one is like tier 1B, right? You were right. Saying? Yes. So tier 1B would include those people in nursing homes, um, those people that have uh, severe comorbidities. Um, and it will start to be those people that have um, – direct exposure to a large amount of people. Um, and that is tier one and 1B and C. And, I, you know, we're getting semantical, but basically meaning um, those people that are in retail, close contact, working in grocery stores with people, um, the people that um, are school teachers doing full contact teaching, um, individuals that are essential for our services to maintain um, and that means, you know, essential services, electric, power, um, things that a lot of people lost yesterday. Um, and so those people, if, if they get sick, it, the world stops. Um, so that's sort of where the tier goes. And then... Okay, so now wait, 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 wait. So that's tier 1B, the nursing homes, people with severe comorbidities, uh, retail workers, electrical workers, school teachers. Uh, but uh, 1A is not just healthcare workers. Isn't that also EMTs, police and fire? Yeah, yes. Okay, good. I just want to make sure I got it right. Yeah. Okay, and then, uh, so Tier 1A is healthcare, EMTs, police, and fire. 1B is nursing homes, people with severe comorbidities, school teachers in the classroom with kids, electrical workers, and anybody who's, uh, you know, coming in contact with people like retail workers. About uh, when do you suspect that the 1B uh, vaccines might be available for people in that, that category, that tier? I would, you know, you're, you're putting me on the spot because I'm not the one receiving the vaccines, but I'm going to say probably the way things are working, if they continue to send out doses every week, 
which is what we've been told, that they're going to send new doses every week. Then we're hopeful, you know, that within a month we're moving on um, to, or maybe less, moving on to the next tier. And as I said, we're going to be doing tiers sometimes concomitantly because we can't wait till all tier 1A gets done before we even think about 1B. So some of it is going to be the fact that we're going to pop up sites. So I'm going to be doing shelter, folks, maybe before 1A gets done. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It all depends because of how quickly 1As come out. And there will be some people in that in that grouping that decide they don't want to get vaccinated. And nobody at this time is mandating that, that you get vaccinated. You know, right now, if you work in healthcare in one of the big hospital systems, if you don't get a flu shot, you have to wear a mask from basically November to April. Mm-hmm. And um, now everybody obviously is wearing the mask. That, that's not even germane. But, you know, for the first year, like I said, um, 87.75 of Pfizer, 83.50 of Moderna, um, and so we're we're and we're in a setting where we currently have over 300 people in the hospital um, because of this. So we have to do the frontline folks first as much as possible, but but we're still going to be doing the other folks. So you know maybe you know you're putting me on the spot again, but I'm saying maybe the common folks that don't have anything wrong with them. Um, they're not old. They don't have diabetes. They don't have any immune things. They're going to probably have to wait a couple months, but that's not even really a long time in the in the big picture, um, because there's going to be more vaccines coming out, and that's yeah. part of it as well. And, um, and would that be the one C, uh, doctor? Would that be the one yep. C uh, tier there? The, the rest of us uh, who are not over sixty five don't have any uh, real serious comorbidities, uh, suppressed uh, immune immune systems, things like that. Is that the one C? Right. So, so folks, folks like um, who otherwise, you know, are well and healthy and not, you know, older, um, then they're considered the least risky unless they fall in, of course, as a healthcare worker or an essential worker. Right. So they, these are people that don't fall into the other category. So, um, again, like, I don't want people to get hung up on the category so much because I understand it's going, it's to, going be to be fluid. Yes, I know. I yeah. Plus, the so thing that, no the thing that concerns me, and I and it drives me nuts, is that there are people in the healthcare field who say they don't want to take the vaccine. They want to see how it affects other people first. Well, you know, I'm going to say that they're they're skeptical people, no matter what you ask. You know, and um, so there's always people that are worried that something bad's going to happen. And I have some doctor colleagues who say, I don't prescribe a medication. It's still, it's been on the market for five years because I'm not sure what the long-term effects are going to be to my patients. Well, okay, that's your prerogative, right? But yeah. I do know that I do not want to be in the hospital with a plastic tube down my throat being told that I'm not going to live because I decided I wanted to wait five years to find out whether or not there was any long-term sequela. I do know that we're feeling really good about the vaccines. Um, I do know that there's nothing um, unique and scary about what the vaccines are doing. But, you know, if that's their prerogative, then they can roll their dice and take their chance. No, I understand. In Um, fact, just yesterday I shared um, a a, it was a great, uh, great article from folks at MIT. And they actually interviewed a number of people who are uh, involved in developing the vaccine as well as other bioscience experts and such. And they described what's in the vaccine and they put it in layman's terms. And I shared that on the air yesterday. And I, and I told folks, look, uh, you know, it's on. If you go to Twitter at the Jensen Show, at the Jensen Show on Twitter, you'll see I put a link there to this study uh, 
Uh, really, more it's more of an article uh, at from MIT showing what what it is and what's in there. Uh, I would much rather have a day of discomfort, even if it's a little bit of a temperature or something like that, than you know be intubated or or God forbid a, a ventilator in, in the hospital. I want to get to David. I think uh, David's got a call, a question for you, Doctor Sandra Gibney. It's five two nine one zero one seven. David, what's your question? Hey, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. So I just wanted to let you know, I'm actually fortunate enough to be getting uh, the vaccine tomorrow. I'm a frontline healthcare worker. And I just wanted to say the overwhelming um, peace of mind I have about it, the overwhelming, like not having to worry if uh, I'm an asymptomatic carrier and I'm going to give it to somebody, um, not having to worry, you know, if I'm working with a COVID positive patient, um, it just feels like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders to to be able to get this vaccine um and i i get it like everyone is entitled to their opinion some people are going to be skeptical um no matter what um obviously it was a quick turnaround time but these are um you know a pandemic we're facing so that's kind of why it was uncharted to do it this fast but i i really have zero qualms about it and i'm just so excited to be able to get it and have that peace of mind you work with covid david you work with covid patients so, so the way I operate when I'm at work is I'm assuming everyone has it. Um, gotcha. I've worked. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's fair. That's fair enough. And I'm with you. Um, I'm certainly going to take the vaccine. I encourage all my listeners to as well. It's just that simple. And, and I'm glad you called in. Uh, I really do. But keep in mind uh, this. And uh, thanks, David. Appreciate the call. But I also want to get a Dr. Gibney on this as, uh, as I've been reading uh, all these, you know, uh, messages from the CDC and, and such. Uh, here's what I understand when it comes to vaccine. You get the first of two doses and still wear a mask, still social distance, because uh, your body isn't even going to react well to that as far as uh, fending off of the COVID-19 for at least two weeks or so. And you only have about maybe 50% 40 to to 50 percent of the defenses in your body then three weeks later with pfizer four weeks later with moderna you get the second shot still it's going to take a couple of weeks for that to actually do its job as it were in your body and then after that then you're up to like 90 94 percent uh protection against uh, the uh the virus is that about right doctor that's that's spot on, Rick. You're absolutely right. So your immune system takes some time in order to kind of generate the machinery in order to fight the virus should it see it again. It's sort of like if someone, you know, knocks at your door and you're trying to get together all the things for a scavenger hunt. It takes a few minutes for you to gather all the items for the scavenger hunt for that little kid at your door. So your immune system has to kind of get revved up and it takes about two weeks to do that to build the immunoglobulin, which are the big, big bad boy proteins that will be able to kill and inoculate um, and and make inoculus the, the virus. So we really tell people that they still have to do all the things they were doing before, wear a mask, social distance, you know, wash your hands because that vaccine, it just like the flu shot, takes about two weeks to really rev up your immune system to make you suspected to be immune. And for the Moderna and Pfizer, 21, 28 days, second booster shot, which is not new or different, by the way, when we give kids their childhood vaccines, their MMR, their Hib, uh, their polio, they all get series five. We give kids five vaccines 
of the MMR to boost it. So it's yeah. like, um, this is not new or different. You probably just forgot as a kid you had to get shots every time you went. That's probably why everyone hates doctors. But By the um, way, no, I, I, I know. And I have another question here, too, because I was looking at some of the results, the FDA release, release results, and uh, it was Pfizer, something like 2%, I think, got uh, got headaches. Uh, that were uh, considered to be uh, severe, and uh, with Moderna, 4%. I'm thinking, I want the Pfizer one, or am I thinking too much about those numbers? I think you're way overthinking it, you know, and they did break down even the deaths that occurred on Moderna's, and they broke it down as to, you know, what were the most adverse events that occurred amongst those individuals. Um, and they will say that, uh, that two-thirds reported some fatigue, a headache, 60% had muscle uh, pain, um, and most of those symptoms were for 24, 48 hours at most. They did track these guys for a long time to see what was more common in the vaccine group versus the placebo group, and they did notice that there was something called lymphadenopathy. That means basically swollen lymph nodes. That was more frequently reported, but that's a good thing. That means your immune system is going to work um, and it's going to do its thing. There were three cases of Bell's palsy in the vaccine group. Um, but as far as serious adverse events, there was less than one, 1%, and they occurred, you know, one, 1% in both groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, they didn't really look at the children under age 18, pregnant and lactating or breastfeeding women. And they didn't look at immunocompromised individuals. It's just too risky to use them in a, in a uh, trial um, but but essentially, the the folks um, that did perish, um, two of them were older than age seventy five with underlying heart disease. Um, one person was found um, dead at home with heart heart problems. Um, one had a bad bowel disease called Crohn's. Um, so the deaths uh, and one believe it or not, one patient died by suicide. Um, so the the deaths were well explained and not likely due to the virus of back excuse me vaccine uh, itself. Um, and, and the actual and, and, you know, this this document that these guys go through is hundreds of pages going through each person and what each person's data look like. That's why it's not like turning around the next day. But but what I do want to say before we run out of time is just my little pitch for Moderna um, as a vaccinator. I'm going to tell you that the exciting thing um, is this vaccine um, is now expected to remain a stable at standard refrigerator temperatures. So we're nice. looking at temperature to 36 to 46 degrees Fahrenheit for up to 30 days, um, which is a big deal for people that are going to be storing, distributing, and uh, vaccinating folks. We also know that um, for shipping and long-term storage, a standard freezer um, can keep this Moderna vaccine for six months. So if you put it in with your ice cream, um, if that's what you want to do, you can, <laughs> you can do that. Yeah. Uh, one Dr. more thing. Well, wait, Two wait. Uh, we're we're really running out of time. Can I hold you over? Is it possible? Yeah, we, do, we don't have anything else here, uh, do we? Because we have Leslie on the phone as a question. I'd like to get to that. And um, and, and we normally don't always things. hold. Yep. What's that? I got two things for you. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And uh, normally we have a two thing limit on this program, but uh, when it's a guest like you, 
uh, we uh, always allow multiple things. And this is a lot of important stuff, actually. So, Dr. Sander Gibney, hang on. Leslie, hang on. Uh, it's 5 tonight, 1017. you got a question about the vaccine. It's good to know about Moderna, by the way, that you can actually, well, the, the distributors and the hospitals and the vaccinators can actually, you know, freeze this in, in normal freezers. And it doesn't have to be kept at such cold temperatures that very specialized freezing equipment is needed. So, Leslie, hang on. Uh, Dr. Gibney, hang on. We have these important messages and then uh, the news. Please keep it here. The Rick Jensen Show on AM 1150 and 1017 FM WDEL. All right. On the phone, Dr. Sandra Gibney. She's on the Lieutenant Governor's COVID team. She's going to be delivering vaccines and administering vaccines to likely uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of people here in Delaware. We're talking about the vaccines, Pfizer versus Moderna, and how soon people can get it. We can go over some of that a little bit, but first I want to get to Leslie, who has a question, 302-529-1017 with uh, Dr. Gibney. Hey, Leslie. Hi, Rick, and hi, Dr. Gibney. Um, I am 66. Um I don't have serious comorbidities except that I am 50 pounds overweight, but I just spent um, the best part of November in the hospital having a triple bypass. Oh, gosh. My question is, uh, where do I fit into uh, the program of vaccinations? Um, My desire is to visit my BFF in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So will that factor in as well, depending on what Arizona requires? Yep. Um, So Leslie, um, 66, a little overweight, heart disease puts you at uh, tier B. Um, So I would suspect that you would be right after the frontline hospital guys um, in line for vaccine. And I would absolutely recommend that you get it. Um, We know that folks with heart disease and clotting disorders, leukemia and whatnot, and unfortunately folks that are overweight tend to do much worse uh, if they get COVID and are at higher risk. So you're definitely in that B category. And um, so as soon as uh, it is available to the tier B, which should be very soon, um, I would strongly recommend you get it. Now, am I... At risk, I understand that the side, fact, side effects are minimal, and I did get a flu vaccine uh, in October, and I always do. But because of my surgery being so recent, uh, should I hold off, or can I go as soon as I'm allowed? I would go as soon as you're allowed. Your surgery healing and what you had done for your bypass surgery should not terribly affect your immune system. And it's those things that affect your immune system that we would tell people to hold off if they've recently been sick, um, if they've had some sort of illness where their immune system was tested. Those are the individuals that we tell just wait, let your immune system reconstitute itself a little and get itself kind of ready to react to a second uh, charge, if you will. So, um, but but in general, um, having recent surgery does not put you at an immune risk, and that's sort of what we're looking at um, for the vaccine. So, I think in general, you're definitely one of the people that we're looking for and want to vaccinate. 
Thanks, hey. Leslie. Appreciate the call. No, it's 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 awesome to to hear this from Dr. Gibney. So if you just tuned in and uh, you're wondering, gosh, uh, when might I be eligible for the vaccine? Dr. Gibney is on the lieutenant governor's team for COVID, as well as a lot of other medical professionals. And uh, and the way it's laid out is this. Uh, there's three tiers of, of people who will be getting the vaccine right away, right now, going on this very day, healthcare. Uh, professionals, uh, EMTs, police, fire, you know, people who are most likely to encounter folks with coronavirus. And then in a, a month or so, it's not really been determined exactly what date's going to be, but maybe in about a month or so, then it's Tier 1B, nursing homes, people with severe uh, comorbidities, uh, folks like uh, Leslie there uh, who have had, uh, you know, some health problems. Uh, retail workers, school teachers who are working with kids in the classroom, electrical workers, uh, people in shelters, things like that. And then uh, 1C is the the rest of us. And uh, I, uh, the, what I've seen is like that might be March, uh, April, but uh, perhaps even uh, sooner than that. But we don't know for certain. Right, doctor? That's right. You got it. Okay. So we're talking about the differences between Pfizer and Moderna. And I asked about, you know, these uh, different two percent people get headaches with one uh, Pfizer, four percent with the Moderna. But it's it's such a small number of people, thank goodness, who are having uh, these you know very very short term side effects. And um, you were saying that the Pfizer is, uh, of course, the first one out, but Moderna doesn't require you know the subarctic temperatures, as you put it, uh, to be able to transport this and use it and get around the folks. Uh, do, do do you see any big differences? In uh, in efficacy or, or or response to Moderna's vaccine versus Pfizer's vaccine? No, I'm going to tell you from the standpoint of the vaccine. There's two two ways to look at it, right? Major surgery, minor surgery. If it happens to me, it's major surgery. If it happens to you, it's minor. But <laughs> for the vaccinated, for the person that gets vaccinated. Um, there is very little difference. For the person who is the vaccinator, it is a big difference because the fact that I can store it for 30 days in the refrigerator, I can store it for 60, uh, six months in the freezer, and the fact that I can keep it at room temperature for 12 hours while I'm vaccinating large amounts, and even better, um, and I own no stock in Moderna, is that the Moderna vaccine does not require a dilution. So if you were watching TV and you were watching them over in Europe getting their vaccination, there was all these little ladies behind panels or curtains that were taking vials and sucking it up into uh, into syringes after adding a magic dilution of normal saline, sterile normal saline. That is a, a handling technique that's required for Pfizer. It has to be put in solution. So they get a powder delivered to them. They put then normal saline in, they introduce it, they mix it up and draw it up and then give it to you. Unlike that, Moderna has no dilutional. It comes ready to rock, just like your flu vaccine. So no hands are mixing, no human hands are mixing and matching with you to pull it up. I like that. I look, I like the fact that those are those are opportunities for it to get um, not sterile, right? So um, the fact that we don't have to add anything to make it ready um, to administer is mm-hmm. encouraging for the vaccinate tour. And the fact that I don't have to have a special freezer or special requirements is another like really exciting feature. And this is relatively new that Moderna has announced it um, that their longer shelf life. 
um, which makes it a little bit more, you know, a valuable candidate for me, but not for everyone who's receiving the vaccination. I don't think there's much difference between the two. They have this proprietary thing, which basically Moderna um, has put a, uh, a lipo nano, nanoparticle around the vaccine that protects it from temperature. This is unique to the Moderna. That little lipid meaning fat nanoparticle means teeny, weeny, 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 not naked, naked eye. We're talking about scanning microscope size. That little lipid particle, which protects it from temperature, that is unique to the Moderna virus. And that allows it not to have to be at subarctic Nanu of the North temperatures. And so hmm. for that reason, it becomes more valuable to the vaccinator. Um, and um, that makes me excited. Can I ask you a personal question? Of course. Did you get your vaccine yet? Uh, I'm in line to get it. Absolutely. Yeah, Alrighty. I did not, okay. but I am getting one, and so are you, because I'm coming after you. Up to- um, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait my turn. I'm ready for it. I certainly will. But I, I figured you probably would. Look at you. I mean, there you are, uh, Dr. Gibney, always taking care of other people before you're taking care of yourself. Now, you know, you've also said this to me. You can't take care of others unless you take care of yourself first. That's right. You're absolutely right. And I am lying to get it, you know. Um, so I will be getting it. I will be getting it this week, more than likely. Mm-hmm. Um one more thing I have to share with your I think your it's listeners. pretty funny, by the way. I've got, I've got this visual picture of Dr. Gibney coming at me with a big needle. It's like, yeah, you're going to get yours, Jensen. Yeah, okay. yeah <laughs> I know where you live. Yeah, I know. I know where you live. <laughs> yeah. I make house calls. You know, I, I do. In this case, it actually kind of scares husband. me. Yeah, oh, I know. Just come, <laughs> I come tapping at your door in the middle of the night with a needle. That's right. Give me yeah. your arm. I, I know. And I know a second visit's coming within three or four weeks, depending on uh, which one it is. So, yeah, what is it? what else do you think we need to know about this? Uh, okay, so the one thing I do want to mention is the FDA authorized the first over-the-counter COVID-19 test, which is going to be available next month for 30 bucks. It's made by a company called Alum. It is an antigen test, not my favorite test, as you know, mm-hmm. um, but still to get it out to a large amount of people and they don't have to see a doctor or get a prescription. They can just go to the pharmacy and ask for the Illum COVID-19 home test. Basically, it's an antigen test and it comes with a little analyzer. What you do, you swab your own nose and then you dock it into this little um analyzer that they have, which through Bluetooth technology will communicate with an app on your phone that you downloaded and and it will give you your result in 10 minutes. So basically you buy it, you swab your nose, you run your test and you find out results in 20 minutes. Now, a few weeks ago, you and I were talking about this and uh, and man, did you read me the riot act when, when I was raging one day and, uh, and I said, I do believe uh, that, you know, majority of people in this country would do at-home tests if we had at-home tests, and the FDA was not releasing at-home tests, and, and you let me have it. You'd say, well, Jensen, that's because they're not reliable, they're getting false positives as well as false negatives, and they're not quite ready. How they've ramped up in just a couple of weeks is uh, is really impressive that now there actually is one at home that people can do. Oh, by the way, you say it's an antigen test. So will this also show that if you're not, if you don't currently have COVID or coronavirus, 
Will it also show that you have antigens suggesting that if you did get COVID and didn't know it or thought it was something else, uh, that now you have antigens in your body, or is it not going to be that specific? No, so it's not going to be that sensitive. And in fact, the test itself, and that's why I didn't yell at you. You're so sensitive. I just told you that, <laughs> I'm so sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that it's less sensitive and less specific than the typical molecular test that we run in the lab and that we're doing. But I will tell you this, that this particular, the FDA said that this test identified 96% of positive samples and 100% of negative samples if the people had symptoms. Okay. Oh, wow. So if you're okay. symptomatic, 96 of... 96% of positives were said they were positive and 100% of negatives said they were negative. For those that didn't have symptoms, 91% of the positive samples were, so 91 of the 100% of positives were positive and 96% of the negatives were said as negative. So my point to you is this is that more valuable if you have symptoms than not. It's more yeah. accurate if you have symptoms than not. Will it be as accurate ever as the molecular test, PCR? No, but it gets it to a lot of people and for a very little price within, you know, range. And most people can afford 30 bucks to get a test as opposed to other places. So I agree with you. We, you know, there, there's only so many tests that we can do in our setting. Yeah. Um, you, you can always, if you get a positive, then you can always call and let us do one of our tests to confirm. If you get a negative and you have symptoms, you're good. Um, so, you know, for that purpose, and I'm always about the greater good, um, you know, this is valuable. And you're about the greater good, too. So that's why I share this well, with you. Well, thank you. you. I, I, like, I like to think so, as, uh, as, as goofy and uh, sometimes uh, opinionated as I am. Uh, thank you. So what I'm hearing from you is a 4% false negative. And, uh, and the key is if you don't have symptoms and it comes out, uh, it's, it's likely going to come out negative and no You worries. wasted 30 bucks. Yeah. Well, not yeah. really. I mean, I'll tell you something that's, that's very, very personal uh, for me. I have a good friend who um, who is is go- doing some at home treatments for a, uh, a a physical ailment that he has. He's a great guy. He's, he likes to get out and go out in the in the in the woods and go hunting and hiking and stuff like that. He's a good friend of mine, and I don't want to you know embarrass him uh, too much. I don't know if it really would. He's anyway. Uh, and so his wife isn't feeling so good, and she, she doesn't know if she has uh, coronavirus or, or what, and he has to do a daily treatment uh, at home. And I said, well, dude, I'll come over and do that. And he said, well, you know, if, if I get uh, COVID, then that's I'm doomed because he really is truly compromised. And it would just be basically putting a Band-Aid where the needle goes. He's, like I said, he's got in, in-home treatments for something he's going through. So this really kind of means a lot to me. If if I can get uh, tested like that for thirty bucks at home and say, okay, it came out negative, I'll come over and, and help you out, uh, you know, yeah. with pulling a needle out of his arm and putting a bandaid on and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, it sounds like he has limes if he's an outdoor guy getting weird treatments. But no, it's um, not limes. It's not. And, okay. and let's not play the guessing game because I don't want to embarrass the guy. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it would give actually him a it's shot. something. Uh, it's something uh, actually much, much, much more serious. Although that oh. is serious, and and it does debilitate people sometimes. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. But this would be an opportunity for him to be tested at home and not have to expose himself um, or you as well. So yeah, so I would say with symptoms. 
quite valuable. Without symptoms, eh, you know, um, take it with a grain of salt. But with symptoms, I would go ahead and try it. You know, again, yeah, swab your bucks. own nose, run your own test. No, you know, no, we didn't do that. Phone. When they swabbed my nose last spring, um, they oh. took they took this they took this thing. It was like about five or six feet long. And, uh, okay, maybe not, but it seemed that way. They went all the way back uh, through, through the nasal passages, you know, back to the skull and, and did that. Now, when we do this at home, there's no way I could force myself to do that. I just couldn't do it. Is that right. – uh, do we, we don't have to go that deep with this thing, right? No. So the FDA said the Illum test is performed using a mid-turbinate nasal swab. What that means is – within normal nose picking reach, right? And so (laughs) turbinates are the air passages in your nostrils. So the middle of your nose nostril, when we do the posterior pharyngeal um, Mm. and uh, we do the deep nasal pharyngeal, it feels like someone shot chlorine up your nose um, for about 10 seconds. Um, But this is mid-terminate. So this is something that the average person could self-inflict and not, you know, feel discomfort. Um, It's reasonable. So mid-nostril, not deep, you know, as people describe it, brain biopsy, it isn't. But Now, what about people, what about for those of us uh, who use deadly pots uh, or we're using a nasal saline spray? Because, uh, you know, we know, and you've said it too, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 it can be uh, a defense against the virus if you just keep your nasal membranes healthy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't so do that you're before gonna, this, right? Nah, don't do that. Don't do that yeah. for this test because you're going to wash out some protein, and that's what it's looking for. It's looking for the protein which is present on the outside of the COVID virus, the, the spike protein. And if you, if you rinse your nostrils, uh, and, and you know, it might be a value so that you don't have it adhered to your mucosa, which is the entry point for, for COVID. But for this test, you want to, you know, stay pretty uh, clear of that until, you know, you do the test because you're liable to rinse out some valuable protein particles. Um, and so I would say for this particular test, you know, don't do that. But otherwise, you know, it's a healthy it's a healthy thing to rinse your sinuses. It's not a bad thing as long as you're not irritating them too much, you know? I, so. I know. Uh, Dr. Sandra Gibney, who's out there in the space suit, as it were, uh, with a lieutenant governor, too, who actually has a, a doctorate in nursing. And they're in the most at-risk neighborhoods there are administering the vaccines now as well. You're doing God's work, Sandy. I, I really appreciate you. Uh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Uh, well, but there's other people who eat much, uh, much bigger deal than I am saying so. So that's how I know it. Uh, Dr. Gibney, thanks so much. Bottom line is get the vaccine. Uh, she is, and I'm in line as well. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your work. we got to take a break, and we'll be back right after this.